You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on this ministry, visit lancelambert.org. In this episode, Lance reads the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and teaches how sometimes seeing the Lord requires a fire. Let's listen. From verse 13, I am afraid I shall have to rely upon your knowledge of this chapter. I think most of you will remember it. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said unto them, Is it of purpose, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that ye serve not my God, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, and the flute, the harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded certain mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their hose and their tunics, their mantles and the other, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound to the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste. He spake and said unto his counsellors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the aspect of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace. He spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the satraps, the deputies, the governors, the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men that the fire had no power upon their bodies, nor was the hair of their heads singed, neither were the hosen changed, nor had the smell of fire passed on them. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, 
Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word, and have yielded their, their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that is able to deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, I think you all know the story. It's a very wonderful story, isn't it? But it's one that I fear so often just because it's dramatic and told, uh, um, perhaps using language to the fullest extent, especially, especially reiteration, uh, we tend to look upon it as a wonderful story, uh, something which is in some ways, even as we read it, rather exciting, but nevertheless something that has not so much to say to us. But this morning I want just to draw a few lessons from this incident, this historical incident in the life of Daniel and his three friends. You see, we have been asking the Lord that he would reveal himself unto us. And I think sometimes that many of us have got an idea about the way the Lord will reveal himself. For you know the most important thing in the Christian life is to keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus. If you forget everything else, remember that. That the most important thing is to be beholding the Lamb, to be seeing the Lord Jesus. Because as we see him, all kinds of things happen. When we see the Lord Jesus, you see, we begin to understand something of his salvation. We begin to understand what it is to be made righteous in him. When we see the Lord Jesus, we see his greatness and we understand something of the wonder of belonging to one who is able to keep us. Not only able to save us to the uttermost, but able to keep us and guard us. You take your eyes off the Lord Jesus then, and, and clamp them on your own unworthiness, why you'll be the most miserable of all people, never being able to lift your head in the presence of God because of your sinfulness, your wickedness, your, your unworthiness. But keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus, and you see him as your righteousness, as your justification, as your very salvation, as your foundation before God, laid by God. And if you look upon the Lord Jesus, and keep your eyes upon him, there's so much else. For scripture tells us that as we keep our eyes upon him, we're changed from uh, glory into glory. We're changed, we're conformed into the same image from glory to glory by the law of the Spirit. So you, I believe, will, will see that it's keeping your eyes upon the Lord Jesus that matters. For if you and I want to be changed from Jacob's into Israel's, we've got to see the face of God and never let go of the Lord. We've got to keep our eyes, as it were, fixed on his countenance, fixed upon his features. And you will see too that it's necessary to keep your eyes upon the Lord Jesus because the Lord Jesus is essentially the church. The church is not just people, it is a person. 
first and foremost. It's the new man. And you see, this is what the Lord Jesus meant when he said to his disciples, Who say ye that I am? They said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, he said, Flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you, but my Father which is in heaven, I say unto the, to, to you, Upon this rock I will build my church. See? Thou art Peter, but upon this rock I will build my church. The Lord Jesus later on said something like this, I am the true vine, ye are the branches. What did he mean? Why he said, I am the true vine, roots, trunk, branches, leaves, blossom, fruit, tendrils, everything. I am the vine. Those of you who've been in the East will know that the Eastern vine is nearly all branches. There's very little else of it. It's all those twisted long branches, so pruned and gnarled from years of care and so on. But, but the Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. What did he mean? He simply meant, I am the church and you are the church. But you see, if you take your eyes off the Lord onto the church, you become all church conscious. See? All conscious of the people, of the doctrine, of the teaching, of the methods, of the system, and everything else. You lose sight of the glorious fact that we are his body. A body is an essential part of the head. The head is an essential part of the body. You can't cut the two. You can't make them into two identities. The head and the body are one identity. They are one thing, one entity, one living organism, head and body. So you see, it's very important for us to see the Lord Jesus. For the whole gospel is summed up in the Lord Jesus. Our sanctification is, is, is summed up in the Lord Jesus. And the church, with all that is entailed and involved in the church, is wholly bound up with the Lord Jesus. Now if we could see that, what a change in our lives would really be wrought. If we could see that this question of becoming a Christian is first to come to know the Lord Jesus and then always to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Why, John the Apostle sums it up like this, These are they that follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. They never take their eyes off of him. They just follow him and follow him and follow him and follow him wherever he goes, through desert, wherever it is. They just follow the Lamb. So you see, it's important for us to see the Lord Jesus, but just wait. Many of us have got an idea of where we're going to see the Lord Jesus. Oh, we're praying that the Lord Jesus will reveal himself to us. And I think some have got an idea that perhaps, well, there'll be a flash of light and we shall suddenly see the Lord. Or it'll come in such a wonderful way. Perhaps we'll be in an armchair. Perhaps we'll be somewhere else. It'll be at a most peaceful time of ease. Oh, we won't be conscious of the devil. It'll be miles away. And then suddenly, oh, our eyes will just be opened and we, we shall be visited by the Lord in a new way. But, but just wait. When I look in the word of God, although at times there has been such a visitation of the Lord at such points, we can never take the Lord and dictate to him when he should come, I find that the Lord seems to reveal himself, generally speaking, when you least expect him to come. Well, you take poor Isaiah. Well, it was dreadful. It was the year that King Isaiah died. 
And King Uzziah, you know, was a compromising king, but, but he, was a, he was a good king. And oh, poor Isaiah, the man who, who we believe had royal blood in his veins and went in and out of the royal court. He'd seen that wicked son Ahaz grow up and become more and more and more evil. And don't you think Isaiah had said to himself, what's going to happen when Isaiah dies? What is going to happen when Isaiah dies? If that son's going to take the throne, what's going to happen to God's people? But you see, Isaiah died, poor Isaiah. Well, he did the best thing, which I wish all of us here were to take note. He went into the house of God and prayed. I don't know how long he was in the house of God, how consecutively he went to the house of God, how consistently he was found in the house of God, but this I know that sometime during the year that King Uzziah died, he suddenly lifted up his eyes and he could no longer see the house of God. It was hid, hid in strange veils. Then he began to look up and up and up and up and up, and there high and lifted up he saw the Lord in the and his train or the skirts of his garment filled the temple. Well, well, well. But then you take John the Apostle. Well, we would have said, now, John, look at that wonderful book of Revelation. Oh, John, how thankful we are for that book of Revelation. It's comforted us so many times when we've been in difficult, trying circumstances. But when did it all happen? Well, you know, John was exiled to the little island of Patmos. As far as we know, he was there, uh, sentenced to forced labor, hard labor. We're down in the mines, as far as we know. Mining copper. Whole idea was to kill these men. Not just to execute them, but make them useful. Keep them on very small rations, long hours, little sleep, and they would die, having got every ounce out of them that it was possible to get. Well, do you think those our conditions for seeing the Lord. But you see what happened? Dear John, one day, was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I wonder what he was doing on the Lord's day. I do not believe the Roman, Roman Empire never observed the Sabbath. Or any day of rest. No, he was hard at work. And suddenly, suddenly, he was in, he was in the spirit, you see in his doing the job that he was being forced to do. And suddenly he heard a voice behind him. And he saw the vision which you and I and no other Christian have yet explored the depths. But you can go to all other kinds of things. You'll find it everywhere in scripture. It doesn't matter where you turn. Why well, take that poor man Daniel? You know, he was watched all the time, hounded all the time, men were plotting all the time. And yet Daniel was seeing the Lord all the time. Oh, wonderful. We've got his visions. And those of you who were with us when we studied the book of Daniel, when we, when we made a chronological chart, we discovered to our amazement that poured all these great crises in Daniel's life when it looked as if he was going to be destroyed were just the prelude to a new seeing of the Lord. 
a new understanding of the Lord. Well, it's all summed up in this story. Here there is a terrible situation. You see, what is, what is this situation? Well, it's simply this. Either these men are going to compromise or it looks as if they're going to be destroyed. And you must see that it was the faithfulness and devotedness of these three that led them into this experience. And let us say this right now, that if you and I are prepared to compromise as Christians, we shall be saved an awful lot of trouble. We shall also be saved from an awful lot of glory. You see, if you and I want to, we can, we can so compromise that we can make things very easy for ourselves. These men, why can't you imagine the devil coming to them and say, you silly three. All you've got to do is just nod your head. That's all. When the band strikes up, just nod your head very quickly. That's all. Nebuchadnezzar likes you three. He's rather fond of you. He, he, he only wants just a token, just a token. Why, in your heart, you can remain rigid, but your head can bow. Just nod your head. Now, that's just how the devil comes to you and I. Whether in our office, in our home, or amongst our friends, it's just the same. Look, you don't make a fool of yourself. Don't make a fool. Just nod your head in your heart. It's the heart that matters. It's the inward man that matters, not the outward man. Go on, don't worry about it. That little lie, that little shady business, that white lie, that uh, going to the phone and saying your boss is not there. That kind of thing, when he's sitting there just behind the desk. These little things, all the little things. See, the devil gets us on the little things. If he can compromise on the little things, he gets us on the big things. Don't you understand? Because once you start to compromise, however, however, in whatever, however small a thing, you know as well as I do that you cannot keep your head high anymore. You feel you can't witness anymore. You feel you can't, you're all the time afraid that people in the office will turn around and say, well, you do so and so and so and so and so and so. Or in our homes they say, well, and we are known best in our homes, well, you do so and so. You see? So you see, here's a situation, it's an impossible situation, isn't it? But these three men, they said, no. No, we're not compromising. This has two possibilities. One, the Lord will deliver us. Or two, the Lord will not deliver us. That's all. And in every single situation in which we're shut up, there are only two alternatives. One, the Lord will deliver us. Or two, the Lord will not deliver us. Now, most of us are quite prepared to go into any situation if we can have the first of the two alternatives. The Lord will deliver us. But if we should uh, have to face the fact that the Lord in his sovereignty may not wish to deliver us, then we draw back. There are always two alternatives to every one of these situations. The Lord will either hasten to come in and deliver us to his glory, or he may let us go through it and deliver us by going through it. See, it is the glory of the Lord and the increase of his kingdom and our joy and peace 
which is most at the heart of the Lord. Why I can imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego after this, patting each other on the back and hugging each other and saying, Oh, wasn't it wonderful the Lord didn't deliver us? Isn't it wonderful? We had to go into the burning, fiery furnace, but isn't it wonderful? Look at us now. Why? We're the three most important men in the kingdom. There's only one person above us, old Daniel. That's all. Above that was Nebuchadnezzar. Well, who would have thought that? Now, just supposing the Lord had come to us before we'd gone in and said, and somehow appeared to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, you mustn't let my servants go in. Well, it may never have happened. Or if he'd whisked us away. Well, many of us are just like that. Oh, don't we grumble and moan and groan when the situation is facing us? And we want the Lord to whisk us away before it's happened, to get us out of it. And when he doesn't, well, we think, oh, the Lord, what's happening? Heaven's collapsing. Things are going wrong in heaven. Why doesn't the Lord keep his word? Why doesn't he deliver me as he should? But the Lord always knows best. There are only two alternatives. One is you can be saved from a situation, and the other is you can be saved in a situation. You see? That's those other two alternatives put in a different way. From our point of view, it's either the Lord's going to deliver us, or he's not going to deliver us. But from the Lord's point of view, it's either going to deliver us before and from it, or deliver us in it and through it. You see? Well... That's the situation. Well, what's the next? What's the next thing? The challenge. The challenge is there. We've spoken about the challenge. Are you going to compromise, or are you going to go through? Can you trust the Lord? I can imagine when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bound up in all their garments. They must have already been feeling the heat, because uh, it slew the men when they even got near it. I can imagine them sort of thinking, or if they didn't say to each other, when they were left alone, bound by each other, just waiting to be thrown in, oh, now it's happened. Now this is the end. It looks as if the Lord's going to destroy us now. Whatever must have been their thoughts if they were carried, and the men who carried them into the flame were themselves slain. What do you think their thoughts were? It must have been terrible. The challenge. Is thy God able? That's the challenge that comes always in every situation. Is thy God able? But I want you to look at something else in this story as well. We've looked at the situation. We've looked at the character. Look. Uh, we've looked at the challenge. Look at the character of the men. Now there are two things about these men. Faith and meekness. Faith in that they were absolutely convinced that the Lord was able. And meekness in that they completely submitted to which way the Lord chose. Now that's the thing that so often is missing in us. We've got the faith. But we haven't got the meekness. Most of us when we face a situation say, Lord, you're able. And in our hearts, we say, now, Lord, you have to do the first thing. As I'm to be delivered from this situation, Lord. Okay? No meekness. No preparedness for what the Lord wants. Oh, well, do see that there's a character here. 
The Lord has to work in us. Faith and meekness. They seem to be in some ways opposites, for one is strong and one is soft in many ways. But you see, they belong to each other. On the one side, an, an implicit trust and confidence in the Lord that he is able. On the other, an absolute meekness, the fear of the Lord. Well, if he wants me to go through this, I'm going through it. But if Nebuchadnezzar thinks I'm going to bow down to his golden image, he has another thing coming. But I'm not going to. The Lord, if the Lord chooses for me to go up in flames and smoke, I'll go up in the flames and the smoke. Now that's a spirit that Satan just cannot do anything about. Now if he can get a Christian and says, Lord, I believe that you're able, he says, oh dear, how awful. But if he can only get them on this point of, now then Lord, you've got to do so and so and so and so. He's got them. But when he gets children of God who say, if I die in this situation, I die. But I'm not going to compromise. The devil can do nothing. They've passed out of his hands into God's. He can do just nothing with them. Why, they're asbestos lined. No, no heat, no fire, no nothing can get into them, can destroy them, can singe them, can take a thing off them. Why, when those men came back up out of the burning, fiery furnace, there wasn't a thing, there wasn't a, a hair singed, there wasn't a smell of burning, there wasn't a single thing changed in them, you see? They were untouchable. And so I want you just to see, there's a character. You and I, we've got to have that character. That's what the Lord wants, because you and I are in it all the time in this kind of situation. But there's something else. There's what I would call the manifestation. You see, when they were thrown into the fire, the fourth appeared, and not before. Now you and I, we want the Son of God to appear before we enter into the worst part of the situation. If we can feel him near. If we can only know that he's leading us into it. But that's not faith. When they were right in it, it had already slain the men who carried them up into the burning fiery furnace. Suddenly, the fourth appeared. Now, isn't that always so? Always so. In our experience, you see, you, can't, you, you go through something where you have no peace. No peace at all. You don't know the Lord there at all. And then all of a sudden, at the, very, at the worst point, you're conscious of the Lord. I remember speaking with a dear sister who's gone through very much suffering in her life, a long life, and she said to me, you know, I love that word, my peace I give unto you. Because she said, in every new situation I go into, I don't have any peace at the beginning. And then suddenly, generally, in the worst part of it, a new peace comes into my heart. Do you understand? It's peace that's gained. Jesus had a peace like that. There was a peace he left with us. That was the peace with God. Justification. But there was his own peace which he knew in the cross. That peace which at first cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But later he got the peace. Into thy hands, Father, I commend my spirit. It was the same in the garden, wasn't it? Oh, if this cup can pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That's his peace, see? 
The fourth always comes just like that. These men were bound. They were bound, hand and foot. They were carried into the, in the, into the burning fiery furnace. And, uh, as you know, uh, it slew the men who carried them. But suddenly, when they were in the flame, they met the Lord. They met the Lord there. Now, I want to say one other thing, too, which is a little picture, a symbol of something greater. They were straightened, terribly straightened, in the first part of that situation. But they were walking when they got into the heart of the furnace. They were walking. You see, men and women will never see the Lord Jesus cheaply. We want to think that the Lord Jesus is showing himself to us in our office. Oh, I'm amazed. at some of the things that people tell me. The way Christians behave at homes and their office and amongst their unsaved friends. I'm appalled by it. Appalled by it. it there's, no, there's no manifestation of the presence. No expression of the Son of God. It's just them. Religious people. Forcing down other people's throats. The gospel. But you see, you know as well as I do that people who breathe the presence of the Lord are people who've gone through something. Not necessarily always awful things. No, not not necessarily. But they've got a history with the Lord. They know what it is to say from the heart, God is unto us a God of sin. They know what it is, as the psalmist says, to be at wit's end. Many, at their wit's end many times. See? They know what it is to prove that God is a God of resurrection and that God raises the dead. We have the sentence of death within ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Do you understand? Do you want the Lord Jesus to be revealed in your life? Do I want him to be revealed in mine? He can only be revealed when there's a, a certain character, when there's a preparedness to go right through with the Lord whatever the cost. When there is on the one hand faith, but on the other hand meekness. Then there's a manifestation of the Lord. Then all the straightness of our lives. Oh, the straightness of our lives. Do you not all feel it? You long for people to be saved. You long for people to really be influenced by you and walk to the Lord. But you're straightened. Somehow you feel there are bands around you. You can't break them. Well, you see, it's the flame that will, that will burn those bands. It's the very flame of the furnace itself which will snap them. And suddenly then, you will not only be walking, but in the midst, the fourth. Brother Nee in his new book said, Do you know what enlargement is? I, I, I only read this last night. This message was in my heart before. But I was thrilled when I read it. It's what made me feel like I feel I must give it to you. You see, brother, and he said, what is enlargement? Enlargement is this. Three are thrown into a third, and they become four. That's enlargement. Do you understand? <laughs> so you and I, as a company of God's children, we, we, we can be put into a furnace. It seems to be the end. There's no way through. But if, if the Son of God 
The straightness has gone. Oh, I wish we could understand all of this. It's so wonderful, really. It's the key, isn't it? For you see, when Paul, when Paul was saying, now look here, beholding as a, we need to be, to behold him as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord is in the mirror, and be changed into the same image from glory to glory. See? Isn't that wonderful? We all say, hallelujah, that's wonderful. Well, 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 that's marvelous. But then, then just wait, just wait. But, he goes on, we have this treasure in earth and vessel. The glory may not be of ourselves, but of God. And then he goes on, you see, we're perplexed. We're smitten down. <laughs> you read it all, you see. There's another side to it. There's something else to it. Oh, some people say to me, you're always on on the suffering. Well, yes, I'm awfully sorry about it. Perhaps we do tend to talk too much about the suffering. But you see, you see, there's two sides to it. If people are always talking about seeing the Lord, seeing the Lord, seeing the Lord, and there's no bearing about in their body of the dying of Jesus, then we say they're seeing of the Lord is not a seeing of the Lord at all. For these two things, the paradox of true Christian living is that on the one side, there's always a bearing about in the body of the death of the Lord Jesus, on the other side, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest. The two things go hand in glove. You see? The two sides. Now, if you and I could only begin to understand something of what it is to have the fourth with us, oh, we wouldn't be afraid of burning fiery furnaces anymore. Because they don't last forever, you know. Well, at the time, they seem to be awful. But you know, they don't last forever. For Nebuchadnezzar himself comes and says, <clears throat> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. He never said that before come for. Something's happened in Nebuchadnezzar. Then he publishes a decree that everyone is to worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then he promotes them to a place, one of the highest governmental positions in the kingdom. You see the end. It's always the same. You and I are faithful go through because it's the fourth with us you see when we see the Lord Jesus we see ourselves as well you know when those three were cast into the burning fiery furnace they suddenly became conscious that they were bound don't you think they were for one awful minute they must have been oh Lord our weakness our inability our incapacity now what happened before they suddenly became conscious of the fourth this is always so. When any man ever sees the Lord, the first thing he says, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. I wasn't going to say this, but I think I will risk the fury. Two-thirds the company. But you see, I've been saying to one or two people this week, because I've heard this and heard that, and I'm not aiming this at anyone. I'm amazed, absolutely amazed, in my own life and in all of your life how unaware we are of what we are. One of these days I shall give a message on it and I expect our foot of two-thirds will leave or possibly 99%. I'm not going to talk this, this morning about any of you but I will tell you some that I've known elsewhere. 
There's one person who tells me, not once, but again and again, that he has the gift of discernment. And everyone else can see it the most clearly, that there's one thing he lacks, is discernment. I haven't heard that brother tell me once, but I've heard him tell me again and again. doesn't belong to this company at all. But all his brothers and sisters are convinced of one thing. He hasn't got the gift of discernment. Then we know other people who've come to us and said that they're generous. And we find and we discover to our amazement that they're utterly unaware that they're quite mean. Quite mean. They give of, their, of what is superfluous. And they tell us, I'm generous. This last week I heard of a brother who again shall be unnamed, nothing to do with this company, who actually wrote to uh, another and said, I am the most humble man on this earth. <laughs> and all of us, we know, quite different. I have another person in my experience who used to say, I'm John Blunt. I like everything straight from the shoulder. I speak from the shoulder. I expect everyone else to speak straight through. And you dare say even a little thing that was open, let alone blunt. <laughs> and that one was gone. Grieved to the marrow that anyone could have said such a terrible thing. What's wrong? Are we people who are supposed to be consorting with the Lord, walking with the Lord? I have other people who come to me and say, I'm so loyal. I'm loyal. Oh, I'm loyal. Never dream. It's not true. It's their weakest point, disloyalty. So you can go on. Another person, not in the company. Well, of course, I could spend another hour telling about things in the company, outside the company, that we know, dear sister, whose first thing, always she says, whenever I see her, is this, you can tell me anything. You can tell me anything. It never gets beyond me. But those of us who know her best know that to tell her anything is to tell the whole of Richmond. Now, some people may be a bit disgruntled about what I say, but it's absolutely true. You cannot know the Lord and not know yourself. And when something is is blatantly apparent to everyone that that's the weakest point in that person. And they say, it's my strongest point. There's something wrong, isn't there? Something wrong. Those three men, it's no good saying to them, shade rate me, shake and bend go, what free men you are, what free men. No, they said, we're cramped. Oh, we're bound. They knew. They knew their weakness. They knew what they were. Well, may the Lord help us, because if we see the Lord, we see ourselves. Not that we should keep our eyes on ourselves, but that we should know ourselves. We should know ourselves. Don't you think that's necessary? Don't you think it's necessary? May the Lord just help us, really, in experience, to have the company of the fourth and to know the way and the character into such an experience. So we just bow. May you see the Lord as your deliverance in every situation. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus. Jesus.